If you will, this morning, we actually have two texts today, and I'd like you to turn with me to the first one, and then I'll read the second one as we'll be going to it a little later in the sermon. The first one lies in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. It's verse 16. The second one is Mark 10, verse 51, and I'll read them both now. John 20, 16 reads this way. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Mark 10, 51 reads this way. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind, blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Let us pray. But Lord, as we enter in to this hour, I pray, O Lord, that Thou would enter in first, that Thou would go before us and prepare the ground, prepare our hearts and our minds. O Lord, let this be a day that You would enliven our hearts, cause us to cry out unto Thee, that we may see Thee in this perfect worship, that we may see Thee high and lifted up, that all of our fears and all of our concerns and all the things that plague our minds, the sins that are brought to our remembrance, the things that we know we fall short to Thee in this hour, Lord, may they all be put to the side. May they all be put under Thy feet. May we see Thy Thee reigning, Lord. May You teach us indeed that You are the Rabbani. Lord, I ask this according to Thy will, and I ask it according to Thy power. And in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Probably wondering, it's two different verses in two different places, and you're probably wondering what they have in common. And it's interesting that Rabbani is the word used in the John passage. The word used in Mark is Lord, but they're the same word. It's the same word, Rabbani. And it's the only two places in all of the Word of God that it's used. And that that touched me from the standpoint that as I was reading last week all of the thoughts and things leading up to Resurrection Day and reading all the accounts and studying them. And when I came to this passage, when the Lord brought me here, I knew there had to be something significant in that word. Rabbanai. So I went to look it up, and and it's a form of the word rab, the form of the word rabbi, and the form of the word rabbon. It's the highest form. Those words mean master, teacher. But this word is only used for deity. It's, It's higher than a master. In fact, translated, it means my great Lord, my great master. So as Mary is brought to this time, as the Lord reveals something to her in true worship, her words to the Lord were, Rabboni, my great Lord, my great Master. The same for Bartimaeus. And that's what our passage in Mark 10 is talking about, and we'll get there later. So this morning, I want to look at what brought us here in both passages 
And I want to look at the events that took place. And I want to look at what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I want to look and examine this as I always ask the Lord to examine us. To examine us if we've ever entered into this worship. Where the Lord has brought us to the end of ourself and whatever that trial is in our life or whatever the despair is. And we see Him. And not only do we see Him, but He causes us to cry out, My great Lord, that is total surrender. I am dependent upon You, Lord, for everything in my life. I owe everything. We just sang that song, Jesus paid it all. And that's what the Lord was impressing upon me. He paid it all. We owe Him everything. He didn't pay a part. He didn't do a part in our salvation and then we do a part. That's blasphemy. But what He did do is He did everything for the child of God. And He he doesn't leave Himself without glory because He brings the child of God to utter these words. Rabbani, my great Lord, you're my Lord. Just as David said, you're my shepherd. So let's look at the events, and we'll just we'll just start at the beginning of twenty. I thought about starting at eleven, but let's let's read this uh, uh, this whole account. The first day of the week cometh, and Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre. And she saw the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So she came with other ladies, as the Gospels tell us. And as she came, she came to the sepulcher, and she saw that the stone was gone. So she didn't enter anywhere near the sepulcher. She just went to where it was, and she saw that the stone was gone. And immediately, she turns around and says, Then she ran, and she came to Peter, Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom John loved. I love, I love when he says that. I tell you what, what a great joy and rest that John is entering in as he's writing this gospel as the Lord has revealed to him that he is of that number. The Lord loves me. It's not a little song that we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Because this is the truth. John knows that the Lord loves him. And the Holy Spirit has that upon record for us today that John knew that the Lord loved him. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And so John says, Whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. We, meaning she came with the other ladies. The focus now is on Mary Magdalene. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, which is John, and they came to the sepulcher, so they ran both together, and John, who was much younger, the other disciple, did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooped down, and he looked in, looking in, and he saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. There was a reverence to John, and he looked at it, and he said, oh my, what is this? He's, he's befuddled, and you know, we'll be told why here in a minute. Then came Simon Peter, and we know Peter to be the verbose one of the group, and he following him went into the sepulcher. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, they were folded perfectly, and wrapped together in a place by itself. It was sitting by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which is John, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. 
What did he believe? We're told in a few, I mean, we're told that he didn't believe that the Lord had raised. What did he believe? I mean, he believed the, tent, the tomb is empty? Because verse 9 then tells us something extraordinary. Because we're in John 20, and when Jesus sat before them in John 14, 15, and 16, and he had the, Lord, uh, the high priestly prayer in 17, he said numerous times that he had to go away. He told them numerous times, destroy this body, in three days I will rise it up, raise it up. He had told them countless times that he would be dead and die for the sins of his people, and he would be risen again in the power of God. And yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. It says something about our hardness. And it says something about our unbelief. And it says something about being schooled in all the scriptures and everything that we know in our mind, but our heart and our inner man cannot give ourselves faith. We cannot. Faith is a gift of God. Trust is a gift of God. Mercy is a gift of God. The opening of our eyes is a gift of God. And we'll see that in just a moment. They knew not the scriptures. So they went away unto their own home. It seemed to me like this was an, uh, an altering event in their life. But they just looked at it and said he wasn't there. And so that, that tells me something. They left in despair. Because Mary's still in despair. But Mary stood. Verse 11. She stood without at the sepulcher weeping. She's weeping. She has great sorrow. The tomb is empty and she has great sorrow. You and I know today that the tomb is empty. But yet there are times, many times in our life, we have great sorrow. We know that He's risen. We know that He's reigning. We know, we, we pray we know, we, we feel like we know that our names are written in heaven. And yet, we have sorrow. We have sorrow over the events that come into our day, in God's providence. We have sorrow over what's happening in our country. We have sorrow about family things that happen in our family. Yet He is risen. And what that means to the child of God is all of his sins are forgiven and he has eternal life in Christ Jesus. And he's justified in Christ Jesus. And he's holy in Christ Jesus. And yet, yet there's sorrow. And thankfully Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're about to see that unfold right before our eyes as Mary mourns she mourns over the fact that she has no idea where Christ is and she doesn't know that he's risen although she sees the tomb is empty Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain the messengers the, the, they were manifested to point to Christ. He's not here. He is risen. That's what they said in the, the other Gospels. So they had a message. But an angel can't tell it to you. 
I can't tell it to you. It has to be spoken to your soul. Rabbi, where does it come from? Where does that power come in our souls to make us cry out, You are my Lord and you are my Master. And all of life is swallowed up in those words. You are my Lord and you are my Master. You're my Master over my life. You are my, my Lord over all things. But we haven't gotten there yet. We have despair. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they. Who are they? Who are they? Our imaginations and our fallen mind works to imagine things that are not there. The wicked one comes and works on us and says, This is the reality of the situation. And we listen. They. They have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid Him. It's not the truth. The lie has not been spread yet. That the soldiers came and they told Him and they paid Him and they said, Go tell everybody that the disciples took Him. That lie is not propagated yet. But the deceiver is hot on the trail. The fallen mind is taking things in and looking and saying, Oh, I figured this out. I'm going to lean on my own understanding. And her own understanding tells her that they, a group of people, whoever they are, have come and taken the Lord and they've laid Him somewhere else. And she's in total despair over that. Because what she has, and she believes she has, is broken communion. Unfulfilled time with her Lord and her Savior. She doesn't see Him that way yet. She sees Him as dead. She came to see a dead Jesus. She didn't come to see a risen Lord. She came to see the dead Jesus. You and I sometimes are stuck there too. We're stuck looking at a dead Jesus. And yeah, it is a wonderful thing that He died on the cross. And it is. It's, it's awe-inspiring that I can't even speak the words of what He paid on the cross. But without the resurrection, without Him coming forth, there would be no life. There would be no paid debt. There would be nothing for you and I. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. And she knew not that it was Jesus. And you say, how can that be? How can it be that Jesus stood before her and she didn't know Him? Now I've read some pretty, pretty uh, far-fetched things this week. She had tears in her eyes, so she didn't know that that was Jesus. The last time she saw Him, He was disfigured on the cross and He was so disfigured that she couldn't recognize Him. Or He was in some kind of body that she could not describe who He was. But I put to you today that she's in the same state as the two on the road to Emmaus. That the Lord that was said in Luke 24, 16, but their eyes were holden that they should not know Him. The eyes of their understanding. The Lord had blinded them until He had spoken to them what He wanted them to hear. 
Their eyes were shut. Her understanding was shut. And we know that, right? Because she's in despair. And the Lord is standing right in front of her. It's, she said, and saw Jesus standing and knew that it wasn't Jesus. And we know this is the same risen Lord, the same risen body that will appear to all of everyone else that He appears to. And they will see Him and they will walk with Him. They will eat with Him. He will come through locked doors. They will know that he is, it is Jesus in front of them. And it tells us something of our dependency. Of our dependency to be brought to say, My Lord, my great Lord, and my great King, and my great Master, which is something higher than any Lord or King or Master upon this earth. We must be brought there. And we will be in the day of His power. This isn't potential. This is how He reveals Himself. And now He says to her, Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing Him to be the gardener, said unto Him, Sir, if you have borne Him hence, maybe you're the one that moved Him, tell me where you have laid Him and I will take him away. You see her love. You see she loves Jesus. She wants to make sure he has a proper burial. Still doesn't know that he's going to rise from the dead. Still doesn't know that he's standing right in front of her. This is what happens when we don't, when, when the Lord is hidden from us. We make him out to be someone he isn't. A gardener. Or to us, uh, maybe it's deeply more religious. Oh, the Lord showed me that. Did it lead to Christ? I hear that a lot. I hear a lot. Man, man now today ascribes a lot of things to the Holy Ghost. But never do you hear that the Holy, Holy Ghost led them to Christ. Which is what Jesus said, I will send him to, to reveal me in my children. That's his purpose. Oh, the Holy Ghost told me to invest over here. The Holy Ghost told me not to go. Really? Because that's not His purpose. And we make the Lord to be something that He's not in our fallen nature. That's what our nature is prone to do. Believe anything. Believe anything. And the Lord puts that down under His feet, where He is reigning in the soul and in the mind and in the understanding. And when that takes place, that's when true worship is placed, present. That's when it is. That's what we have almost here. We're getting that. She's still in despair. And one word turns her around. One word. And it's her name. The Lord knows His sheep and He calls them by name. And there's power. There's power in that name. When the Lord calls your name, it's because you're one of His. It's because He's calling you to a life in Him. Jesus said unto her, Mary. 
And at that moment when she heard, the understanding came. The Lord gave with power. It came with power. Her understanding, her eyes are enlightened now. Not just the physical eyes. The Lord has shown her, I am the one that died on the cross. I am the one that's risen and put your sins away. I am the one that justifies you. I am the one who paid it all for you. And in that moment, in this moment of worship, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabbani, my great master, my great Lord. This is the power of the Lord revealing himself to his children. In a measure. You and I will, will, will enjoy a measure that is known just to you and I. Meaning it's to you and the Lord. It's to me and the Lord. How the Lord speaks your name and calls you away from sin of unbelief or whatever sin you're embroiled in. Mary. This reminds me of what... Um, Solomon wrote, and the Holy Spirit wrote in Solomon, Song of Solomon 5.4, My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door, and my bowels were moved for him. That's what he did. He said, Mary. And he reached into, figuratively of course, he reached into her soul, and he revealed himself in her soul, and all she could see was him. That was it. That's true worship. That's what I long for. I want to hear the Lord call my name and not just once. Not just once. I need Him to call my name on a daily basis. Because I do look at what's going on around me. I do. I get polluted by everything. But this is cleansing. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 61.3 when speaking of Jesus. The one who would come and heal the brokenhearted. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. My great Lord, my great Master. That's beautiful. She was just in the sorrow and, and weeping. And the Lord says, I'll give beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The strength in the Lord's righteousness. That's what she sees. The planting of the Lord that He might be glorified. That's what the church sees. It's the planting of the Lord. He's done this. All glory belongs to Him. Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, my great Lord, not just a teacher, not Rab, not Rabbi, that we've seen from the rich young ruler and others. Rabboni, there is a union there. There is a significance there. There is a personality, personal between the two there. She doesn't see the fear of man. She doesn't see man. She doesn't see anything. 
but what the Lord has done for her. You are my Savior. You are my righteousness. She's brought to the highest opinion and thoughts of Christ that she's ever had. And don't miss the fact that the first one that the Lord revealed Himself to was one who had seven devils cast out of her. All her life subject to evil spirits entering into her body and into her mind. And the Lord casting them out over and over again. That's who He first revealed resurrection to. sinner. Not a highly religious man. A sinner. We can imagine how she felt. We can imagine the great unity she feels with her Savior now. The Lord has brought her out of the depths and the mire And he has set her in front of him where she sees him reigning. Remember, her last sight of him was death. She sees her risen Lord. She knows now life going forward will always be life in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Total surrender. Then Jesus said to her, because as I said, there's great love now. She wants to grab on to him. She wants to hug him. She wants to throw her arms around him and say, you know, like you would, oh, my great Lord, my great master. And Jesus says to her, touch me not, grab me not, hug me not. I have a greater call for you. I have a message for you. I have, I have to send you somewhere. Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Forty days he would be. In forty days. In that time he will reveal himself to a lot of his children. And I mean in front of them. Paul said he was one born out of due time. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren. Go to the ones that are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's interesting, isn't it? The last interaction Jesus had with his disciples is they all scattered. One in particular denied him three times. None of them stood with him. Did you hear that from Jesus? Did he upbraid them for their unbelief? Go to my brethren. Go to my church. I'm sending with you a message. Go to them and say unto them, I will ascend to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Now, I I can't underscore either what's going on here is Mary as a woman in Israel is treated like a second-class citizen, as they all were. Jesus is revealing himself to Mary. And he says the utmost, 
I go to my Father and your Father. He includes her in the number of the brethren and all of men. There's no male, there's no female, there's no bond, there's no free, there's no, there's no difference in Christ Jesus. Oh, may the Lord impress that upon us. And say unto them, I ascend unto my Father. That's union. Because my Father is your Father. Tell the brethren this too. Tell them that, that to my God and your God. Tell them that I'm alive. Tell them that I'm risen. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. And that he had spoken these things unto her. And you know what? John leaves it off there. Luke didn't know. Luke's account says they thought it was an idle tale. And they did not believe it. Once again, we're thrown back at the feet of our Savior. If he doesn't reveal himself, it doesn't matter if I tell it to you. It doesn't matter if the pastor tells it to you. Doesn't matter if your loved one sitting next to you tells you to. The shepherd must speak it to your soul. It's a personal relationship. Even taking the words of Christ, go tell my brethren these things. And that's the first time, well, it's actually the second if you go in order, that this word rabbani is used. Now go with me to Mark 10 for the second time. As we'll spend the rest of our time here. It's a very short account. This is Mark 10. And it's near the end of Mark 10. If you, we'll start in 46. But it was right after Jesus had um, been with his disciples. And um, he was... He was teaching them about lordship. He was teaching them about who is the Lord himself. And he says something in 45. I've loved this verse. I've, I've, you know, to me, as I've said many times, it's the death blow, the death nail to Arminianism and free willism. Jesus said in 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. There is nothing you can do to help alone Christ and His finished work. Nothing. He's done it all. There's nothing we can do to help along our salvation. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. His love is in His Son and it's perfect. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. He paid it all. That's what we just sang. And now we go to this account about this one. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And that's what they did. They had a lot of blind people in that time. It was customary for them to work out in, in the desert. And the desert all had this fine sand in it, and most of the people who worked there... All their life they would become blind by the time they hit middle age. 
Bartimaeus was one of those that was blind and he sat and all they could do was beg. They couldn't make a living anymore. So they, they'd sit where they knew people were and they would ask for alms or ask for something to help them to sustain their life. As he sat there begging and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, which tells us something, he had heard Jesus of Nazareth before. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David. That terminology is equivalent to saying, Jesus, the Messiah. So when he cried these words out, he was saying, Christ, the one that's coming is the Christ, the anointed one. Now who revealed that to him? It wasn't flesh and blood. But he knew that Jesus who came, Jesus who's on this path, he is the Messiah. And he cried out for mercy. He cried out for the mercy seat, the one who sits upon the mercy seat, the one who is mercy, who endures forever. Notice he did not say, give me my sight. Not yet. He just said, I need mercy. This is tough. He's in a, in, a, in a deep trial, a trial of hardship. He's been in it a while. And he hears Jesus is coming. Have mercy on me. And then the crowd charged him. That means with anger. That means the mob was upset because he cried out, at this one that was coming, and he called him the Messiah. So they're not very happy. They're basically telling him, hush your mouth. Do not say that. They charged him that he should hold his peace. Don't say any more. Don't say those words. Don't call him the Messiah. This is the way the world is. But if you think that's something, wait just a couple verses, you're going to see how fickle they are. So they see this one that's in society, that's downtrodden in society, and they say, oh, this one can't be anything of any significance. And they judge him, and they say, keep your mouth shut. You have no right to say anything. But Jesus came to save sinners. Right? Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus comes to his people, and he meets them in the way. Whatever way that is. But notice Bartimaeus' answer when they said, Hold your peace. He cried the more a great deal, even louder. He cried out even more, Thou Son of David, Lord the Messiah, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. Now that's a mouthful there. Jesus stood still. He stopped in the way. I thought about this passage. I had to find it. Ezekiel 16.8 says this. Now when I passed by thee, and I looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and I covered thy nakedness. That's what the Lord does for His children. He covers their nakedness. 
because before the Lord Jesus Christ, we are open and bore out as naked before Him. He brings us to the end of ourselves. He empties ourselves and we're, bore, we're, we're in His mercy. We're subject to His mercy. We're stripped down of all the pride. We're stripped down of all the unbelief. We're stripped down of all the hardness and bitterness. And the Lord brings us to the end of ourselves to cry out to Him. It's a time of love. I've spread my skirt over thee and I've covered thy nakedness. Your sins are forgiven. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee. He reveals eternal justification. He reveals eternal salvation. I have loved thee from the foundation of the world. It is an everlasting love. It will never be broken. Not many. That's what Paul said in Romans 8. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. In time, dear ones. Oh, we're His in eternity. But we're shown it in time. That's plural too. In times. We need those times of refreshing. We need the Lord to come. We're dependent. You can't tell me that you don't get polluted by this world every day. We need Him every day. Well, Jesus stood still. And He commanded Him to be called. He stopped. And out of all the crowd... He commanded that blind beggar over there, which I'm sure is not one of the highly religious people there. I'm sure he doesn't fit into the crowd. But Jesus commanded him because he called him. That's what it says. He commanded him to be called. Bring forth my child, because he cannot see. Now listen to the crowd. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. How quickly the tide turns. When they see the one who's the important one go and show mercy to the one that they deem to be less important, then all of a sudden their allegiance is, oh, this must be somebody important. Oh, be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. The world is not our friend. It's not our friend. They spoke these things to him. But as we saw their heart in 48... They did not mean them. Be very careful. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And now what does Bartimaeus do? As he's sitting on the side of the road, as he cried out for mercy, as he hears the Lord, that they come now to him and they say, He's calling for you. And Bartimaeus, look, he cast away his guard. He got everything impeding him to come into Christ. He threw it all away. Just like Matthew at the table, when the Lord said, come follow me, he left all those that money, he left that table being attacked, and he followed Christ. When Peter and, and his brother and Andrew, and they were out fishing, and the Lord said, come follow me, they left the fish, they left the, the nets, which they had a very lucrative life. He left it all, and he followed Christ. 
And this one hears the shepherd's voice again, just like Mary did. Just like Mary did. And he comes and he he cast everything off and he came to Jesus. He knew his master wanted him. And that's, that's what grace does. That's what irresistible grace is. He could do no other. He came to the Lord. He came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? What would you have me, Bartimaeus, do to you? And as I said, this this word translated, My great Lord. This is Rabboni. My great Lord. He saw him as the Lord of life. He saw him as the Lord of glory. He saw him as his, his Lord, his life. Oh, Lord, that I might receive sight. And I tell you, as much as the physical sight is a blessing to him, the way this passage ends, we know that the spiritual sight, he longed to be succored by his Lord. He longed to feel communion with the Lord, just like Mary. And when the Lord brought him there and he opened his eyes to him, he cried out, Rabbanah. Total surrender. And that's what I ask you today. Has the Lord ever brought you there where self has been surrendered to Him? And He brings your eyes off this world and He brings them off yourself and He brings them up to see Him. My great Lord, my great Master, You are the Master of my life. You are the Lord of all. And I'm in my rightful place on my knees. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith. Remember the faith of his giving? The faith, the faith that he gave him to know the Lord? Remember that? Oh, that's, that's, the, that's the Messiah. Remember faith. We, we, we know faith is a gift of God. And, it, and it's so powerful. And it brings him to Christ. That's what faith is. It lays hold of Christ. Lays hold of everything Jesus says. And it's his. It's imputed to him. It's yours, Bartimaeus. It's yours by gift. It's yours because I am the great Lord. I am the great Master. And as you need faith, I am the giver of faith. As you need healing, I am Jehovah Rophi. As you need to be whole, body and soul, I am the Lord over body and soul. I am the Lord of you. And immediately he received his sight. You say, okay, now he can see things in front of him. Oh no. (laughs) That's not what it says. He received his sight and he followed Jesus in the way. You know, that was something he couldn't do before. He couldn't see where Jesus was going, but now he can. And the spiritual life that we see in the gift, that's what the child of God does. It follows him in the way. What did Mary do? She went back and she said, I'm going to go back with this message. That's what the Lord sent me on my way. 
as the Lord sends us on our way today in the path that He's ordained for every one of us. The path. It's His path that we tread down here as pilgrims and strangers on this on this earth. And my hope and prayer for you and for me is that along this path, He reveals Himself as our Rabboni. And He causes all of the things that hinder us to be cast to the side. That we are free from pride and free from sin. That we can cry out to Him, My great Lord, my great Master. And mean it from the soul. Because if He does it, If he calleth you, faithful is he that calleth you, he will do it. That's his promise. May the Lord lead us to our Rabbani. Dear Heavenly Father, most gracious Lord, add thy power and thy clarity. For thy name's sake, for this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.